94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green with yeah. us. Hello, sir. How are you? Good morning. Thank you very much for being here with us. We appreciate it. Okay, so uh, let's just jump straight into it. Uh, another week, another whole bunch of new big numbers. Yeah. Um, do you want to catch everybody up to date on where we're at? Sure. Yes, I do. Uh, so, uh, yes, the, the active number of cases for Omicron, and it has been you know, five times less severe as far as hospitalizations go, uh, are... 45,116. It actually dipped yesterday by 200. And I'm, you know, I'm really holding out hope that we are really seeing the plateau right now. And then we'll begin to see a drop in not just the case counts, daily case counts, which were significant, of course, yesterday, 3,392, but also the hospitalizations. So we've reached this peak here, you know, obviously, obviously two weeks after New Year's. And lots of spread of a very infectious disease, the R naught, or the number of people that you know catch Omicron per case is ten. So it's essentially the most infectious disease out there. Has meant that a big part of our population ended up positive. We have a 20.3 positivity rate. It dropped yesterday also from 20.7, which is another good sign. I don't want to get people's hopes up too much, but. Because people are getting their boosters, we're now up to 415,534 people with boosters. We've kept the number of people that get sick enough to go to the intensive care unit way down. So we had 352 people in the hospital. Just to give you perspective, guys, if we had the same rate of hospitalization with Omicron as we did with Delta, we'd have 1,800 people with with, uh, COVID in the hospital as opposed to 352. So think about that, five times plus more. Um, we have seen 37 people in the ICU, all of whom are not vaccinated and boosted both. That's, you know, a hard reality, but we do have to be honest about it. And about 12 people needing ventilator support. So that's all about 50% less as far as severe illness goes compared to the previous surge because, you know, over 75% of the whole state is fully vaccinated. And, you know, this large number of people or increasingly large number of people are getting a booster. Okay. Right. I have a question, um, and this is Sunway, sure. by the way. Hi. Um, Hi. In the beginning of, of the pandemic, there was so much talk about herd immunity. Have yeah. we gotten close to that or reached that here locally? Or is that still That's a concept a or it something we're aiming for? Concept. I mean, it's a, it's a very clear reality with, you know, large outbreaks. And what we're seeing now is, is when these diseases plateau and then fall off steeply, that's usually the sign that you reach some form of herd immunity. Uh-huh. Herd immunity is, uh, it's not the nicest way, its origins of herd means the herd of people or whatever, uh, animals can't get sick. We mm-hmm. are, of course, in that category. And we saw that we reached very good immunity against the Delta variant, and then it was replaced by a variant that was able to escape. This was called a viral escape away from the vaccination. And the good news is it was really much less severe and less likely to, you know, to kill someone. The bad news is an escape virus usually is very infectious and that's the case with the Omicron variant. So we will have herd immunity, I believe, after this surge uh, for these variants. And they believe that these variants and infection with them will confer immunity to most other variants, especially all the ones that came before. So we're gonna be very well protected, but. Uh, I don't want to say never, you know, this has been, this is in, uh, in its earliest part of the third year. Now we had 
you know, we had knowledge, of course, in 2019 that COVID was beginning, but it wasn't until early 2020 that we really had a lot of cases, as you know. And now here we are in early 2022. So year three is usually the year that coronaviruses drop off. And we're just seeing that pattern play out right right before our eyes. Wow, that's amazing. Do, do we know um, the number of people who have the Omicron variant now here locally? How many have might have been previously infected with COVID? Do we have like double infections going on that anybody knows? We do. We have a lot of stories from people about having been infected twice, but we don't Mm. have absolute numbers yet. It's difficult for the Department of Health to get because you have very few people that tested clearly and had their uh, virus um, genetically assessed. In other words, Mm -hmm. we didn't have capacity to do more than 75 a week to do the genetic assessment so that just gives you an idea of the percentage of cases so to say people had definitely delta and then definitely omicron or Mm. definitely the alpha variant and then definitely omicron is really difficult but a lot of people have had the infection twice although to a person that i've heard the stories as a physician they tell me that their second infection was much more benign that their system dealt with it they had one and a half two days of symptoms and that was all so you do get a lot of protection. That's the way the immune system works. You know, the immunity that you get uh, helps you the next time because it remembers. And that's what, you know, memory T cells and so on do. So they remember how to fight viruses and infections uh, that they've seen before. And, of course, that's what vaccinations are meant to do. Right. Okay. right. Well, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Every time we think we can <laughs> let him go and live his life and do his thing, something happens uh, like Omicron. Um Lieutenant Governor, I, I saw something in the news that was talking about a uh, an Omicron Delta mix uh, variant that was coming out. Is there is there any truth to that? Have you heard anything about that? I don't have any personal experience with it here. Most of our cases now are Omicron, like 98.5% mm-hmm. are Omicron. Uh, what does happen, though, is when people are in the company of others with the viruses, yes, there can be some crossover mutations, mm. but there's no reason to believe that there's suddenly going to be a, a Delta plus Omicron equals something new and terrible. We okay. just don't, you know, we don't often see that. Usually one infection blocks out the other. Uh, what we do see, though, is that the cases went up really steeply and then dropped really steeply for Omicron. But there have been, you know, really doubts being cast over some kind of delta cron variant it's unlikely uh to happen and it's probably due to lab contamination we're hearing but again we're watching carefully you know this was a um i think a report originally out of cyprus mm-hmm. and i don't want to get on the greeks or anything it's just that we haven't seen it yet <laughs> okay um lieutenant governor do you feel like we've reached the peak of the omicron um here locally you know, I'd rather say that in 72 hours uh, oh. um, because, yeah, but it the numbers did plateau significantly in the last three days. There That's was uh, there was a, a really steady state of the, you know, of the reported viral load. And the hospital numbers went from 325 to 339 to 352. That increase uh, is was a lot flatter than we had seen in days before that mm-hmm. where it was going up 30 or 40 a day on some occasions mm-hmm. and I, it, it you know it looks like it it looks like this is the beginning of the um flattening and then downturn but i really don't want to you know give anyone a reason to have a wild party this weekend and <laughs> spread omicron i mean i think that this is the time to 
lay low, you know, watch the Pittsburgh Steelers beat up on the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, Chief. there we go. And, uh, there we go. You know, <laughs> and just just pretty much have a quiet time with your loved ones in that setting. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, obviously a Pittsburgh fan, uh, joining us today. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I got a question from a friend of mine, uh, Pete, who's asking if Omicron and Delta both have the uh, loss of taste and smell affiliated with the symptoms or if it's just you know or is it one over the other that's a, that's a, a good question actually so delta was um that was a signer a signature it's called pathognomonic which is like one of the classic telltale signs of a of a disease does one thing and and it's almost all people get it mm-hmm. and that was one of them for delta you lose your taste and smell for a period of time a lot less of that with the Omicron variant. Hmm. The Omicron variant was replicating or is replicating very fast in the upper airways, um, less so in the lungs. It was kind of the, you know, the opposite for many of the other variants. But yes, you're seeing less of the loss of smell or taste and more just regular kind of cold-like symptoms, which makes it difficult because a buddy of mine had a really bad cold and we were kind of convinced he must have Omicron. And sure enough, he just had a cold. He was negative. So oh. you just... You know, you, this is the cold season, right? We're right smack dab in the middle of January, and so a lot of people are going to get cold or flu. So the best I could say is, uh, you know, these these viruses, they overlap as far as their symptoms go, and be safe. If you're feeling sick, stay at home. Uh, let it run its course. If you're feeling severely ill, shortness of breath or, you know, extreme fatigue, that's when you go into the hospital. So use these resources discriminatingly and... Uh, and expect that you're going to have kind of mixed symptoms. I think that we're pretty much past Delta now. So everything is Omicron, uh, less likely to go into the hospital. Uh, one out of every 140 to 145 people have needed hospital care with, with the Omicron variant as opposed to four out of 100 with the Delta variant. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green suddenly looks like she's got a question in her head. <laughs> no, I was so. just going to um, maybe change the subject a little bit. Um, and I just want to make sure that we're finished with the, the COVID uh, oh, no, discussion. We'll come back but, to that. But <laughs> um, yeah, it I looks just like wanted, it's burning in your brain. So. Yeah, no, I was just curious if you could just update us um, from your perspective on the Red Hill situation uh, with the contaminated water. Yes, absolutely. So this, uh, more than most issues, of course, setting aside the pandemic can affect our health uh, in the state of Hawaii. So when it became evident that there was a spill, really two spills, one in May and the subsequent one in, uh, in late November, that we had a real threat to our water supply. And so the military, the Navy in particular, and the governor and I and speaker and many others met with them recently and constantly. I know the governor's talking to them. They have agreed to drain the tanks, which was the immediate need, uh, we have to work, you know, with our partners in the military. We have to respect one another, and that's what we do in Hawaii. But this was a, a real environmental crisis, so they're going to drain the tanks. My team introduced them to some options, which they will work through. There's a lot of national security on the line, so probably better not to speak about specifics. But it's a very important thing for our water table. They will empty the tanks. Mm-hmm. Tanks, as you know, are huge. Each tank is bigger than a football field and can hold up to uh, 12.5 million gallons of fuel. So you're talking about 20 times 12.5 million, 250 million capacity gallons of fuel that have to potentially be housed. So 
this is not a small effort. We should do it professionally and responsibly. And next will come, in many ways, the harder job, which is to determine where oil slash fuel should be stored going forward and exactly, you know, what the people deserve. And I can tell you what they deserve. They deserve good, clean water. They deserve to not worry about these things. Mm -hmm. I met with about eight really beautiful young families, uh, moms and dads. Uh, that were home with their kids, and a couple of those kids were sick from fuel exposure. So that's just not something that you can live with. So the fuel will come out. The water table is being corrected to the best of its ability. They will drill some survey wells continuously to make sure that fuel hasn't moved to certain parts of the water table. And that's how they can give us, you know, relatively better assurances, not perfect assurances, uh, that we don't have a risk. Now, they're also going to have to do a ton of water sampling, which my team has been promoting with independent uh, oversight so that mm-hmm. everyone trusts once again that it's the straight scoop coming from this uh, recent you know, dilemma slash disaster. And then finally, they're also doing a lot of extra filtration. I'm not sure if you saw those filtration devices. Uh, you know, People like to tease and say they're just like giant Brita filters. <laughs> those right. things are, are really, really big. And uh, it's all necessary, and there will have to be a ton of water sampling, but that's how you restore confidence, and it's got to be done out in the open. So I want to thank everybody that's worked on this, especially people who were affected in the region. You know, yeah. I feel just terrible that their lives were disrupted over the Christmas and New Year's seasons, uh, but we're all in this together. And so you can see how one part of our community affects another. First, it was how the virus spread and affected us if one part of the community was not vaccinated. Now we see what happens if one part of the water supply is is damaged. And so I think people should really understand better now than ever that we are in this together and it is one ohana uh, for Hawaii. And that includes the military. And I've made personal appeals already to them in the wake of this to look at other challenges that Hawaii faces that are collateral from the the fuel spill, like, for instance, housing. The collateral damage to the housing market was 3,000 families had to be relocated, which mm-hmm. you know made a lot of, uh, put a lot of pressure on our own housing market. We need to build more houses, and the military should help us with that. And it, it'll be, it'll really be a heartfelt effort if we can do that kind of a partnership. And these are the kind of solutions I see going forward. Problems that we face, but we face them together. Okay. Great, great. Thank you. Yeah, that is good to know. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so we covered everything. We got the. We got the housing That's what situation. I wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah some, someone was very focused on that. Um, you know, with regards to the filtration thing, um, we uh, someone had a story yesterday about Moanalua Shopping Center uh, right. being affected by the, uh, the the water and the restaurant situation. Yeah, and the restaurants and stuff. So, how does that get fixed? I mean, you may not be able to get into that kind of a minutia, but I, I just I don't understand how that works. Like, how, I didn't realize they were hooked up into that system. And now I'm thinking, how do they get them off that system so these guys can open and actually do their business? It's really difficult. They're, you know, they're trucking in a ton of water. And it, these systems are intimately connected. Some of them are surprising, yeah. like in this case, the shopping center. Uh, everybody's going to be wanting to take their water from sources that are far away from the Red Hill shaft. And that's just going to be necessary. Now, some, at some point, hopefully the Red Hill shaft will be cleaned up and it will eventually the you know the hydrocarbons or the fuel will dwindle to nothing but Mm -hmm. that could take a long time these are damages right and the damages will be pursued i'm sure by the 
you know, the individuals that have to, you know, ship in water and pay extra and lose yeah. business. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, it's a really hard reality, but we should make those people whole. And when I say we, I'm actually speaking about uh, leadership in the military will, you know, need to recommend that they're taken care of. And I'm sure that they'll do that. Uh, but, you know, right now it's kind of house by house, family by family, business by business that is being addressed. And I think that that's the approach that they're taking, mm. you know, vast surveys of everyone affected. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a, a long dig out. And, you know, when a mall loses its revenue, a lot of times what that does is it causes some, you know, some blemish on their capacity to give clean water or what have you, and they'll lose business long term. So we're going to have to be very supportive of them. I don't know what the direct fix is yet. I'm not a water engineer. I, you know, I leave that to the experts, but you know, they should have all the support they need to reroute the water because I don't want them to be viewed as some kind of pariah in this. It wasn't their fault. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, it's nice to see that the military has gotten sort of behind us on this. Because for a little yeah. while it was, uh-huh. <laughs> it was a little spooky. They were like, "No, what's the big deal?" And we're like, "Wait, no, what?" So uh, it's yeah, nice to they, see uh, they kind of got it figured out. I think I know what happened there, which was look, there was a lot of immediate pressure and mm-hmm. in the appropriate way from me, from the congressional delegation, from the governor and Department of Health that this had to be done, and, and needless to say, from really good environmental activist groups like. Um, Sierra Club and others. I mean, people got involved right away, and the order came down kind of ferociously that they had to, you know, cease using the well and also drain the tanks within a pretty short period of time. And if I'm just being honest with you guys here publicly, the uh, the military is probably more accustomed to their own protocols and timetables, and I understand that in wartime, and I respect that. But in this case, it was a public health emergency, so there was no time to waste, mm. and. Right. When you put that kind of demand on, this is essentially one of the largest engineering feats in the history of mankind. I'm not even just talking about America or Hawaii. The size hmm. and scope of this project is so big that moving quickly is unusual. Hmm. And, you know, crises call for unusual moments, and that's what this is. But I think that there is a little kind of like a stunning blow, like in a heavyweight fight when someone catches one on the right on the jaw you kind of stun there for a second and then you try to fight back and the initial fight back probably wasn't prudent. Um, <laughs> right. Better to go forward with partners on this. Right, right. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Lieutenant Governor, uh, you are also a doctor. You are an ER doctor yep. and you've been doing your shifts uh, throughout this pandemic. Uh, can you kind of give us a reading on what the healthcare situation is like here in Hawaii, because, you know, we've had the issues out on the west side with regards to bed uh, bed space. Uh, we're starting to see that here at Queens as well. Um, what are you seeing from your ground level position? So what we have seen is a very big surge in cases, but not as bad in the hospitals as it was during the Delta surge. Mm-hmm. And we saw subsequently another challenge, which was over 1,400 of my healthcare colleagues get sick and have to go out of work for a minimum of five days, and in some cases, 10 days, if they, you know, if they manifest any symptoms of, mm-hmm. of the virus. So we were short-staffed everywhere while we were surging. Even though we, we reached only about three-quarters, or two, two-thirds to three-quarters, the height of the hospitalizations, we were down personnel. And remember, in the peak of Delta, we brought in 600-plus uh, nurses and other healthcare workers, respiratory therapists, to help. So that was bad. 
the uh, my hospital shift last weekend actually was very quiet as far as as um, as far as the coronavirus goes. Mm-hmm. I did not see any COVID patients last weekend. I saw people with other stuff, you know, bad injuries and specks of metal in their eye and all kinds of crazy stuff. But I didn't see any COVID. Uh, the neighbor islands, there still are some surges in the hospitals. Maui's is at 36. Uh, Kona has 15 people in the hospital, down from 18 yesterday. Hilo has the same number on the neighbor island, 20 with COVID. And there are eight individuals on Kauai uh, at um, HPH's hospital, Wilcox. So... I think that there are still significant numbers, but the hospital numbers should start dropping and people are coming back to work and we're getting uh, 200 plus nurses on the 17th, thanks to the Healthcare Association and DOH and another 250 a week later. So we should come out of this okay, but still be careful because it's been very unpredictable. Mm. You know, the trajectory of this virus, we thought we were basically done when the Delta surge ended, you know, sometime in early September. And then, of course, it was a rude awakening when Omicron got all nutty on us. Uh-huh. So uh, we have enough health care. They were, they were able to avoid um, stopping elective procedures. I was very much on the fence. I thought we might need to pause them again for two to four weeks. But the hospitals kind of uh, soldiered through. And there's a lot of health care to continue to deliver to people because they went two years without mm-hmm. in some cases. So the system's intact. I think this has been a lesson, though. I think that in the coming years, this is something that if I serve as governor, I'll be focused on, which is bringing more nurses and doctors here on scholarship, on loan repayment, because mm-hmm. that's kind of a workforce issue. But it's the ultimate in uh, workforce needs. I mean, I believe me, I love having teachers here and and engineers and everybody. But when you don't have a nurse during a covid outbreak, you're in big trouble. All right. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, also uh, wanted to touch base with you about the whole uh, DOE thing, because yesterday came that report from uh, the acting superintendent, like, oh, sorry. Yeah. We, 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 we were counting. Yeah, we were counting wrong. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? And uh, in some cases, apparently they've been counting. They haven't given reports right. since August. So uh, is there a disconnect here between the DOE and, and what they're supposed to be reporting to Department of Health? Is there something that's going to happen there? Because uh, you and I both have children in the public school system. Yep. So it'd be really nice if I didn't have to worry about my kids catching coronavirus mm-hmm. or that the reports aren't coming out. Well, this is a little bit personal for me because Sam caught COVID at the school, you know, my, oh. my boy. And uh, he's okay, he's fine, you know, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it was real. And his buddies, you know, his little buddies caught COVID and he caught COVID and this kind of thing happens. He, you know, this was before, this was actually a few weeks ago before he was lucky enough to get vaccinated. So um, it's, a, it's a challenge and I, you know, I don't accept. Uh, sorry, we didn't do it right as an, an adequate answer. So they're going to have mm-hmm. to do better. This has to be a top of mind because parents have it as top of mind. We're at, you know, we're only at about 27, 28% of all of our children age 5 to 11 vaccinated. We're at uh, over 70% for our adolescents 12 to 17. So they're pretty well protected. We have, I believe, five children in the hospital right now with COVID-related symptoms. And one is too many. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it really is is something we worry about. You can't stop it completely, but we at least we at least deserve a full and total uh, clear accounting of yeah. the cases. And so I think that that message got sent pretty clearly to the um, superintendent. Okay. 
Um, yeah. One thing I can tell you, though, they, when I look at the reports, and I and I want to share this with people, you guys especially, is mm-hmm. that the most reliable statistics that I can give you are the number of people in the hospital or the number of people that, God forbid, pass away. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are the numbers that I can track with really clear accuracy day to day, week over week, and the numbers in the ICU and on ventilators. Those are numbers that are very clearly. Uh, measurable. And so, you know, those are the kind of things just so everyone hears that, I, that I'm tracking personally all the time and using also as metrics to see how we're doing. Because there are a lot of people, thousands of people that just kind of deal with it at home. Don't go get a test. Can't get a test. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in a global pandemic. So the things that I can measure, like I can tell you as of this moment, there are five COVID sick patients in Castle right now, this minute. Mm-hmm. And that will tell you a lot about what's going on in the community around that wonderful hospital. So, you know, there, there are some metrics that are really clear, and then there are others that are much more difficult to track from day to day. The numbers are so big. So look at the trends. If people need, they can go to, uh, what's my social media? At LTGov Josh Green, and we'll put it up every day, you know, the best numbers that we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but look to the trends and if people have a great concern, they can reach out directly to my office or to me, and I'm happy to share and try to be helpful. Awesome. Uh, finally, real quick, beginning, I'm seeing more reports about masks and what kind of masks to wear. Uh, so are we at a at N95 stage? Are, are you recommending that everybody does that? And, and where can they get them? Do they buy them on Amazon? Well, it's difficult to get the hold of them, although they are going to produce 500 million additional masks and ship them. Uh, but it's it's not always easy. You can get them on Amazon. You can basically rely on uh, the Chinese masks or the Korean masks. Mm-hmm. They've been quite good. They are, in every way, an approximation of an N95. In some cases, they even feel a little bit better on the face, if I can be honest about it, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. But they do have advanced filtering to filter out 95% of all particles, including viral particles. So, yes, if you can get them, get them. And they will be getting shipped by the feds, is our understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am using uh, any mask that I can get my hands on <laughs> on any given day. And there are still moments, you know, uh, when you don't have a mask on all the time. But if you're indoors, you should be wearing a mask. If you're outdoors, you're in a much safer space. Uh, and if you're in a big gathering of any kind, toss a mask on, uh, best of your ability, because you're a little bit more at risk. And also, if you are out there a lot, don't hesitate to get a periodic test, but mostly if you're symptomatic, mostly if you're symptomatic, because none of these uh, ra- rapid tests, the antigen tests are 100% accurate, and we need to reserve the PCR tests, the nucleic acid amplification tests, for true confirmations when somebody really has to be confirmed, mm-hmm. like they're super sick. Um, but these are the lessons that we've learned al- along the way, and Hawaii has fared better than anywhere else, really. We have the lowest case rate and the second lowest death rate only to Vermont in the whole pandemic. And I think that our numbers are plateauing. I I do have the final hospital numbers in, and they appear to be down today. They appear to be down. I'll be able to make a a more formal announcement after nine once the Department of Health analyzes them. But I'm looking at the numbers right in front of me, and I think that they are suddenly down, and they had been going up 7 to 10% a day. So we we may be witnessing the plateau and decrease right as we speak. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I'm, I'm sorry. I know we kept you uh, kind of over time here, but did you have anything uh, lastly to, to say before we go? 
I, I just want to thank everybody for really um, being so responsible in Hawaii compared to most other places. We need to be responsible to protect our kupuna. And that's what dealing with a pandemic really is all about at the end of the day. So just thank you to everybody. And thank you for tolerating the stresses and the repeat stories and this crisis in the way it affects us all. But we're coming through it. And I think 2022 is going to be a very special year for us. Uh, but this last this last hump is one that we're getting over together. Okay. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet. Hey, have a safe weekend. Take care.